0: Welcome to the new game. Bullshit.
1: Beginning. That's right. So it's like a WWF entrance right now. It's like you got that early anxiety for the. I love that Isn't it great? Yeah, it's amazing. I feel like alive. I feel alive. Yeah, yeah man. The microcosm of the madness. Will we get off track? And how quickly will it How happen? quickly will it <laughs> Yeah, that's <laughs> the right real here on Video <laughs> game
0: bullshit. <laughs> like, check one. All
1: right. right. Yeah. Yes, We're good? We good. good. All right. Let's go. <laughs> Can we just go, or do you want to give us a countdown? We're 4, 3, record.
0: Five, four, three, two, one.
1: All right. <laughs> We're off. So this is, uh, I'm Jeffrey Wittenhagen, this is Kyle Gilbert. Uh, we run VGBS, there's kids present, so we won't spell out what the BS stands for. Um, <laughs> but you, we all know what it is. <laughs> um, so I'm Jeffrey Wittenhagen, I'm a published author. He's about to tell me that I need to eat the mic like I'm doing this right now. Um, it's a little weird, but I'll, I'll make it work. So I'm a published author. I'm actually today right behind everybody with the Overdrive Reality Guys. I have my book set up. I've done an NES Collector's Guide, Super Nintendo Collector's Guide, which I do have a couple copies left. I think we're down to six total. They're going quick. They've been going quick, all convention already. They are <laughs> right. selling before the convention opened. It was crazy. I was just That's... sitting there drinking beers last night, and people yeah. were coming by, <laughs> hanging out. Um, so I do a Minimalistic Collector's Guide as well as a Personal Stories Super Nintendo Guide by contributors all over the world. Pretty cool. Um, and then we do VGBS. So go ahead, yep. Kyle. Tell it
0: by yourself. <laughs> Yep, I have has been playing games since, uh, pretty much since I could play games. Uh, working on, you know, the high score runs, the, the no-death runs, you know, just trying to get good at anything, that type of thing. And then we started the whole podcast, and it pretty much began organically from us just bullshitting all the time. He
1: spelled it out! Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> could help himself. Right. could help so, himself. yeah, it just kind of dovetailed, and we figured we might as well do a podcast from it. Exactly. That's just kind of how this whole thing unfolded. Yep. So yeah, you really do gotta eat the mic, though. You really? <laughs> you really do gotta eat the mic. Yeah. That's right.
1: <laughs> so um, so basically today we're gonna talk about the new NES Revolution. So typically we're gonna talk about a little bit about the homebrew scene and those talented developers, but also I going to jump into the microcosm of. Collecting the NES again after all these years, and why it's blown up, and why people are getting back into that nostalgia, and jump into the microcosm. So if anybody else wants to speak up too, we're just gamers like everybody else. So feel free, raise your hand, you can come up and talk too. Absolutely, oh yeah. feel free. Oh yeah. And we're recording, they're recording. You can come on, it'll be great. <laughs> um, so so basically, with the NES, it's the eight bit, obviously, the eight bit microcosm. It's the s- third gaming generation. Second gaming generation was the Atari 2600 era. Before that was the Kong era when the arcade started and everything started. So in that third era, why, Kyle, is it the NES? Why is the NES the thing that we go back to? Is it just because we happen to mature at that right exact perfect
0: time or is there something else behind it? What do you think? Yeah, and uh, from what we've talked about, too, on the cast, so you have the the whole soundtrack aspect. Yeah. So you have, like, the NES ushered in the actual soundtrack to a game instead of just one, you know, like, loop, a 20-second loop or something on, like, Atari or whatnot. Um, Which are few and far between, like, River Raid 2. And that's the other thing. It was, like, special. So if you actually got music on the Atari, it was like, oh, cool, you know? Pitfall 2. Yeah, they, like, went the extra mile, you know? So, and then it goes, it was a little more advanced than your ColecoVision and your 7800. Yeah. But, it, but yet it wasn't so far that you couldn't use your imagination. Yeah. So you could still unlock that portion of it yeah. and see the game through your own mind's eye and then also um, just kind of live through the game as you're playing it. And I think there's that whole magic is what spawned all that. Yeah. Oh absolutely,
1: and where, where you're going with this too is that you have the music piece, you have the art piece. I have a lot of artists art. that completely go back to the NES because you can take those pixels and make it your own artistically and, and make a nice full art piece. It kind of transcends entertainment even. Because when we're collecting Nintendo, it's not only something that we can just put on our shelves, it's not something we can like, just look at. And interact but we interact with it. You get to play the game and every game is a different experience that you play so it's something that transcends it and we've had people tell us that oh all of a sudden after 20 years or 30 years you're gonna just move on to the next thing and I think that some of these certain games and systems we're not going to move on from because of how it transcends and does something differently than the other types of artwork do. So I mean, have people moved on from Atari? Sure, but there's still diehards out here that are going over to Tim over here that's over at, at the table and getting the Art of Atari book because it's an amazing book. Yes, Those things and the different microcosms and aspects that go with those books, we can look at it a million different ways. So I have two different Super Nintendo books, three different Nintendo books, because you can literally look at it a hundred different ways and come up with cool, ridiculously verbose ways to cover
0: just the NES. It's insane. Yeah, and the whole art aspect is huge. It's kind of like in the '80s with the VHS too, um, and like a lot of the art from the old movies and the old games had that hand-drawn, like beautiful paintings, and it just again it unlocked your imagination. Yeah. And even before you played the game, you were already excited. You know what I mean. And that—that's the other thing that sometimes the game didn't live up to the expectations of the box art, you thought. And that's the same with the movie, though. But then there's that beauty too, where back in the day we couldn't go online and find out. Yeah. You had to just rent it and see for yourself. Exactly. And uh, that's a whole nother <laughs> crazy thing. You yeah. Know?
1: Yeah, that, that, that's an interesting microcosm is that before the days of the internet, we literally had to go by what we knew, what Nintendo Power told us about the NES. Yeah. We, had to, we were only subjected to what we were subjected to. So even in certain areas, in Milwaukee, they had different games available at the rental stores as we did in Northwest Indiana or somebody down the East Coast or the West Coast. who we had certain stuff that was distributed differently. So their experiences and nostalgias are going to be different. But we all come back And one of the things that we were talking about uh, recently is that Nintendo is basically a giant toy company. Like literally, Mario and Zelda were on bed sheets and pillows. I have a trash can with Legend of Zelda on it from the 80s. Like, like their marketing was just like we currently see with Pac-Man. Like they were putting it out there, all over the place. Exactly. in
0: your head. Exactly. Yeah, so you thought about it. Yeah, that's a huge thing, though, because you don't know what you don't know, and that's another thing we say a lot in the cast. Yeah. You have to put it out there, and if, no, if someone doesn't realize, uh, it's it's not their fault. Yeah. It's just they don't know. Exactly. So, I mean, I think a lot of that, even with having your own band or your own project, too, that getting it out there is the hardest part. Oh, yeah. Getting people to know you exist is a huge thing. And um, a lot of times, if you have the marketing, and the agent, and the manager, and the attorney, it's a lot easier if you have the money. But just doing it from a grassroots aspect, you don't. But you have that passion, and I love how far you can take that. Yeah.
1: Oh, absolutely. And the thing is, is no matter how far when you're starting something ground pound, like even with my books, like, I have a million views on my Super Nintendo books or on my Nintendo books, and there's still people out here like, oh my god, I didn't even know you were doing this. Like, it's like, the gaming community, the collector's community, everything is so large that it's just, it's a passionate project. And you have to try to get out there as much as possible. And, and that goes hand in hand with the newer NES games. I don't know if people are realizing this, but there are people that have been out there, even Memblers over here sitting in the audience, has been making games since 2002. Yes. That's insane. And putting together my NES these book, I'm going down a crazy microcosm and I want to cover all the homebrew games. This has been the hardest thing I've ever had to research. The NES homebrew scene is available like on hundreds and hundreds of different websites. It's madness. And there's literally about 527 games that are in my book. 527. Does anybody know how many NES games are released licensed for the NES? No. 768. So we're getting towards the point where the homebrew scene is going to become larger than the licensed NES scene. That's crazy. That's insane. <laughs> I never thought about that. Now, the key is, though, in my book, I cover everything. So I'm covering that Memblers put out a demo back in 2003 that was trying out some different coding thing. That's not necessarily a full game. So what I need to do is distinguish between the Mega Man, Castlevania, Mario Brothers level games that do exist in the homebrew scene. There are your Haunted Halloween 8586, which they have a booth out there. There's Battle Kid Fortress Apparel, which is like a Mega Man style game where you get killed in one death. There's Legends of Aulia. There's this guy, there's this game Mystic Searches that's coming out that's like the Legend of Zelda with jumping and abilities. There are really huge games coming out. But then there's your arcade style games. There's guys porting games for the NES, porting old school Famicom games that we didn't play. And they're porting new games like Frogger and things. I know you have a lot to say about that guy.
0: Yeah, so that's what's cool too because there's all the things that weren't released for the NES that you kind of wish were, which kind of goes into two things. You have your things that were on Famicom, like Crazy Climber, you know, Choplifter. Galaxian. Galaxian. Dig Dug. Dig Dug. So it's all those classic arcade ports that you like, why didn't they put that on the NES and just for some reason... They did. The fan- yeah, the Japanese definitely did. Yeah. Yeah. And then you then you had the ones that just weren't released at all, like the original Defender. Yeah. Know, uh, your RoboTron type thing because they have a Smash TV for the NES yeah. and and there is a RoboTron that somebody's working
1: on as a homebrew though that they've recently completed on Nest dev. Yeah.
0: And that's where it gets cool because it's almost completing the collection. So we're rounding out the collection. So we still. Can,
1: So we can play everything now as an NES gamer. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because you have you know your seventy eight hundred and the ColecoVision Vision and. Those were great ports of, you know, your Frogger and your stuff like that, but you don't have on the NES. So you have to, it's just yeah. all in one place. And and now
1: Kahan Games released a few years back Ultimate Frogger Championship Edition, where you can actually play two-player battle frogs and, <laughs> and play through the game and compete versus each other in Frogger, and he upgraded all the graphics. And it's something that like we wanted as gamers back in the day. Now. Talented programmers are making that a reality.
0: Yeah. So, and it's almost like you can take a passion as far as you want to take it. That's the other thing. Uh, if as long as you do it for yourself, it doesn't matter. Um, it's it's all in you, you know. And as long as you're having fun, so if there was a game you always wanted to make or a port you always wanted to do, you can do that if you decide to take it that far.
1: Yeah. The, the issue with that though, of course, and as Memblers and other b- people that have created games, programming on the NES is ridiculously hard. Yeah. The uh, Learning that processor, programming and assembly. Fortunately, there's a lot of tutorials available online to help people get their feet in the door, but they actually make something presentable is a very large task. I have a programming background myself and I can get something to move around on a screen, but to go and make something that's legitimately playable, not even a memorable experience like some of these guys are doing, is near impossible. And I I highly commend everything everybody's doing when they put out a game, no matter how crazy or microcosm it is. I enjoy every single one of them. And that's the thing now. So, in 2017, we can get brand new NES games to play in our NES. That's ridiculous to me. Last year, there were over 30 games released in 2016 for the NES. Just the NES. And this is going on in every gaming system. There's a game, Henshin Engine, for the PC Engine that they're oh, yeah. making. There's guys in the Turbo Room demoing that off. Yeah. And they're going to do an NES port that they told me about for my NES book. It's insane. Yes. Like, in, I've been told about a lot of games coming out that I'm excited for for the NES. Now, other systems have their own different programming woes and difficulties and everything, too. The NES, though, has a huge community support, so it's a good way to get your foot in the door when you want to get into it. Because you have a lot of people, like Memblers and other people, to pick their brain. Yes. Like for real. Yes. So it's an interesting thing. But you're also, when you're doing this, you're getting this new game in 2017. You're starting a new game gaming nostalgia, so you're keeping the NES alive, and that's where people are telling me like, sure, if we're just rekindling our nostalgia on Super Mario Brothers Legend of Zelda, in 30 years, okay, I can see us teetering off, but I'm getting brand new games every every month, like there's no way that it's going away at that point, like it's, it's just going to keep going, and maybe 30 years from the last NES homebrew, maybe I'll be done, that might never happen. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing, guys. <laughs> so, um, so the thing is, is that what I want to do is pick people's brains. Is anybody aware of NES homebrews? Do you have any stories of playing new Nintendo games? And then I want to go and see what we want to see out of a really cool NES game. Because if any homebrewers watch this panel, I want them to get ideas from the crowd here. The, the microcosm of people that come to these conventions are interested in it. So if anybody raise your hand, go ahead, you can come up here too and chat. But I want Kyle to tell, you, what, what
0: do you want to see off of your perfect NES game? Well, the Haunted Halloween, <laughs> the 85 and 86, is really great because you have your, it's your classic platformer, yeah. side-scroller, which, you know, we all carved our teeth on yeah. back in the day. That was just how it was. So it's great that those exist. Obviously your Zelda's, the full immersion, imaginative immersion like Legends of Alia, stuff like that. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's,
0: that's amazing. It's kind of what I'm thinking in my head, too, when you mentioned how it's all new again. So it kind of takes me back to where in the 80s and the early 90s where we, we didn't have the online resources yeah, yeah. to figure things out. So you'd have to be able to reach out to, to Memblers and pick his brain, you know. <laughs> For real? Yeah. So, it's kind of starting all over again, and then when everything gets figured out, all the resources are out there, and it's real easy, but that whole process is very long and arduous, and takes a lot of work and a lot of passion from a lot of people. Yeah. And that's that's where that passion is really important, just to have it, and always make sure you have fun, and you're not burning yourself out. I think that's the thing with the project too, when people start a project and they think it'll be successful right away, And nowadays, I mean, there's so much that exists that just to bubble up through all that is so hard. Yeah. So you really just have to do it on your own for yourself. If something good happens, great. Go with it. Yeah. If it doesn't, great. Um, But I do think if you do follow, you know, your passion, you will figure it out eventually. Uh, you you, You will get a chance, you know. And the whole thing with the programming, too, like John Romero... I think Doom was like his 200 or 300th game or something. So that, that was just how he saw it. Yeah. this is just my you know 200th game or whatever. But he also said when you start programming, you program with the pong or something very basic, and the next game, you kind of take what you've learned and you use that for the next game and so forth. So by the time you've done you know 50 or 100 games, You've learned everything from the progress of doing all the other ones. Yeah. And that's a big part of it, too. So, again, it comes down to um, not giving up and just kind of doing it for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I think the best games that would be great for nowadays would be your ports that don't exist, your classic platformers, the overhead. I mean, just really anything. (laughs) As long as you can feel the love from it. Yeah. I think that's what made a game great in the first place yeah. is you could feel that someone really cared and put the time into it Yeah, and that translates so Absolutely. well. So I think really just anything that you could feel that from. For real.
1: Yeah, and I think the hardest part that we're going to find, and I, I, I got you right now, man. Um, the hardest thing you're going to find right now with the homebrew scene is you're going to have things that are going to be put on a cartridge because the tech is so cheap now to do it that literally that guy who just got into programming that's working on his Pong clone is going to get a cart release now. And then his next game, when it gets better, and his next game, when it gets better, are going to get releases so it's hard as a collector or as a normal gamer that doesn't, isn't hardcore into the scene to get used to this new homebrew thing when the quality can vary from programmer to programmer because you don't have a Konami, you don't have a Capcom in there going and putting out games as a team. The teams are starting to come around. You got your retrotainment as Kyle mentioned with Haunted Halloween, they have a team. But you have the teams now that are starting to program these games, which is really cool uh-huh. from that aspect. But then you have your individual programmers, they're going to reach out to somebody to learn how to program too. So is it, your microphone works? Give it, give it a test. It does. Yes, yes. All right, so so go ahead, man. What do you want to see out of a Nintendo game? Tell us your story. I would
0: like to see... Uh, you got to go really close, man. Like, backports, like Link to the Past, or even Out of Time. done a Nintendo version. So, so you would like to
1: see a game like Link to the Past that downgraded a D-Make. So so are you tracking that there are a few d makes that were made out of China that have gotten U.S. releases? Final Fantasy VII, nope. right? So, okay, so... A League to the Past was released on a Famicom cartridge. It hasn't gotten a translation yet that I'm aware of, but it is pretty playable for being that it was a giant game with multiple buttons put on a NES controller. That's the other thing. Yeah, and then Final Fantasy VII was put on an NES cartridge given an English remake, and some talented programmers took all of the code and redid all the graphics in the game. Mm-hmm. And people have put that on an NES cartridge. So that's not a homebrew though, that is a bootleg, aftermarket bootleg from China that went on and moved into a translation and a hack of a game that's a demake. It's a crazy microcosm when you're talking about collecting. So that's the kind of the things that I'm working on in my Agnes book is I have the Homer section, but then I have Famicom games that don't require Japanese to enjoy. Right. I have my PAL exclusives, the unlicensed games, the international unlicensed games, which are different. Right. You have your sections and your crazy glukes <laughs> and crazy games. And like I'm going down and I'm splitting it up by different sections because if you just want to collect Play Choice 10 games, I got them in there. Um, if you just want to go through the homebrew section, I have the homebrew section split by digital-only, physical, limited-editions. Like, I have limited-edition games that I brought with me here that may be sold out by the time I get to my table. Um, I got those, limited-edition NES games. And then you got games coming up, because I want to try to future-proof the book since there's 30 games coming out a year, 30-plus games, I want to try to future-proof it. But, like, there's so many different ones. So when you mentioned, like, you want to see D-Makes, I would love to see some homebrewers do some D-Makes of some games. It would be amazing. There's also a biohazard, somebody did Resident really, Evil on the okay. NES. Like, there's crazy stuff that's out there. And it's, it's crazy knowing about some of that stuff. Like, when you want to know. Go ahead,
0: Kyle. Well, yeah, what's interesting when you think about that, the controller scheme would be the hardest thing, I think. Yeah. Because everything else is acceptable because you're expecting something D made. You're not expecting something better than what it was. Yeah. So, but, yeah, like, all the buttons that were on the SNES, and then it goes to the NES, which was such a basic thing. It's kind of like uh, the Commodore 64, like, if you play a game like Usagi Yojimbo, you gotta press up and attack button to do a move, you gotta press left and attack button to do another move, right and attack button to do another move, and that's what people didn't like about your Conan or those NES games that were kind of based off your Commodore 64 games? Yeah, basically ports. Yeah. And so I think that's the hard part about that is um, now we're now we're going back to where you had a smaller controller and yeah. less to work with. That's when you really gotta get creative. Yeah.
1: So you basically set me up which I
0: like. <laughs> so
1: there's a new game on Kickstarter, Spookatron. Which is actually a twin-stick shooter, like you mentioned Robotron. He's doing his own version and he's actually in the Nintendo Age room demoing it off today. Um, And he actually is using three control schemes for the game. So number one, you can take two NES controllers and use two D-pads and and play through the game and use one for the movement, one for the shots. He's also doing, with Memblers, who's sitting over here, a Super Nintendo controller adapter. So you can use a Super Nintendo controller with it and use the four button scheme for the shooting. So you can do the up, down, left, right. So there you go. So you got that. And then what his initial idea was was to use a Virtual Boy controller, which he's rewiring and showing how you can rewire it and use both of the D pads from the Virtual Boy controller to make it work. And those are the creative things that we're seeing with the NES homebrew games that blow my mind. Is when you see the different people that get creative. Like you got a guy in there showing off a game. It's called Tailgate Party, and you literally can play with an NES Power Pad and throw bean bags on there, and it registers. And it's not cornhole because there's multiple. Scoring possibilities as you play. You get one, two, and three points. So it's a completely new dichotomy to a game, which is ridiculous to right. me, man. Yeah.
0: Yeah, just taking something that you always wanted and then turning it into reality. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we, we were playing that last night with the beanbags, and it's perfect. It's a way to use the power pad, because the power pad, there's so much to be unlocked with that if you think about it. Like, nowadays, when do we ever break out of the power pad and, you know. Never. Never. So it's like, let's come up with a thing to make that useful. I, I just love that. Yeah. That's where the passion takes people.
1: I mean, and, and you got to think about it, that is a complete passion project. Because if you're going through and trying to market, mass market an NES Power Pad game... How many people out there that don't have a Nintendo anymore are going to have a Power Pad too? Like, and you got to find the Power Pad. So you're literally all the passionate people that are collecting Nintendo. Those are the people you want to play your game. Yeah. I mean, unless he figures out a way to make his own Power Pad, sure. which we were talking about last <laughs> night over beers, because we were like, hey, well, what about this and this and this? And that's the unique thing and the really cool thing about the new NES Revolution that's going on is that we can literally sit here and pick the brains of these passionate people that are here. You can go talk. With the haunted Halloween guys in the cellar tent, you can go to the Nintendo Age room and find like seven or eight different programmers and find out like what what drives them. Why are they doing it? And maybe you can figure out your own way to start your own passion projects or whatever. It might it start kickstarts you yeah. into what you like to do. And it's it's crazy. It's the most interactive thing I've ever done in video games with the homebrew stuff. And it's really addicting because it's really <laughs> cool to see and get new gaming experiences. Some of the guys will send you a full complete inbox with a manual game when you get it, too. And, you know, you just, you just get it and you can add it to your shelf. They make it just like the original NES games. It's, it's really cool. So, I mean, that's the thing that's crazy about the NES homebrew stuff. So, what do you think about, like, a, for me, talking about a game we would like to see, all right... On there. So, you know, obviously, we'd like to see a new Metroidvania, Castlevania. Those are coming out. There's oh, yeah. people working on that's those. Amazing. There's a Pyro Knot coming out. There's a game called Epicade that's coming out that's more action oriented, Metroidvania style exploration. But what I want to see is a Twitch platforming action game, Ninja Gaiden style. I want to see it so you can just run through it and hit the mash the buttons and go through, and it's ridiculously difficult to play. I, I want one of those. Faster paced games. Mm. That's what I want. Because like a game like Haunted Halloween, you got your combos and things, it still has a pacing to it. It's a River City ransom style pacing to it. But there's platforming in it. So it's its own thing. But I want to see a faster paced action game like we had back in the day with Crazy parallax scrolling, and I want it all. Why not? Yeah, it's. I mean, we're shooting for the shooting for the uh,
0: the moon. I might as well go right over it. Right, it's a good one. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of like that Donkey Kong Country thing where once you have the level in your head and you can just fly through it, it just feels so good. It's almost like an un- unwinding at the end of the day. Yeah. You just turn on the game and just blaze through it. Um, yeah, I don't think there really is one right now. That's really a fast paced ninja type. No, it doesn't have to be ninja, but you know, yeah. or a little like a Combat type. I think the deal with that too, you got to make the enemies like one hit death type thing, Battle where Kid. so you can run through it. Yeah. So and as far as Battle Kid, that even has a that's, sequel now. Yeah. And that's that's crazy. the
1: closest. Yeah, Battle Kid um would be the closest. And Battle Kid, the original Battle Kid: Forces of Peril was released in 2010, so seven years ago. Jeez. And that one Jeez. literally is one hit deaths. You die in one hit. It was based on I Want to Be the Guy, which oh, was yeah. a Windows based game. Um, and basically he made it off of that but did it NES style with Mega Man style sprites but what I like about that game is when you're going through you hit checkpoints so like you can go through about five or six screens you're dying a bunch of times but then you hit that checkpoint you're like oh thank god and then you get to the boss battle and it kills you in a second and then you gotta go back But it is fast-paced, because once you learn it, you do have that memorization piece where you can just fly through levels. And I've seen people go through and no death run the game now. Mm -hmm. Two years later, they released Battle Kid 2. And since then, I think Savak is in Japan, so he's working a full-time job. I think he's been incorporated with some other games. Um, So here's another thing with new Nintendo. And anybody can come up again. They'll probably bring up a microphone again. Um, But what do you think about people buying old rights to the older games and re-releasing them now. You got, you got companies like Pico Interactive that put out a NES, was like the um, Wisdom Tree style oh, yeah. Bible games on a controller, but he bought the licenses legally and he's putting out new games or people buying out the licenses to those unreleased games that the ROMs of online and giving it a full cartridge release legally. What do people think about that? You can come up and, and talk about that, too, and we'll we'll talk about get get Kyle Fuchsius over here <laughs> to, to tell
0: us his theories. Yeah, and really with the Arc system works, too, how they bought the IP and, uh, from Technos and be- came out with Double Dragon 4. True. And a lot of people actually don't know that Double Dragon 4, the people who worked on it were the original designers and <laughs> the original people who did it. So. That's another one to definitely check out. It's kind of how it progresses. Yeah,
1: well, that obviously... Double Dragon 4 is obviously on PS4 and Steam, not NES. However, they completely went with the NES graphics yeah. and its play style, and there are new age Double Dragon neon, so they already have the newer style one. Now they went back and gave us our NES one. And the thing is, is we can break the world record drinking beers on the weekend. We might try it this weekend here in Nintendo Room and just try to break the world record again, drunk, and then maybe put it on the scoreboard because I think they got the Power Pack scoreboard going. So we might try to do that this weekend. We've S1. done it before, but we've never recorded it, mm-hmm. so we need to do that. But um, but yeah. Double Dragon two is our gold medal game and so Double Dragon 4 came out and we're like holy cow we had to play it and it really is like made for somebody who's obsessed with Double Dragon 2 and like 3 and 1 and they just threw it all into one crazy amalgamation it's a really cool game go
0: ahead man so um, on the re-releasing of old stuff I think that's awesome right because stuff that was made back in the day right you get the chance to actually experience that one of the problems with the newer games is that they tend to have newer sensibilities Right, the way that the game True. is designed is designed based on all this history of games that we've had all along. Right. Um, but games from back in the day, they were designed with those sensibilities. So if you're looking for the real feel of an 80s game, it had to have been hmm. made in the 80s, right? Oh,
1: we got my um, mind moving. So, yes. yeah, no, be cool.
0: <laughs> now, uh, on your earlier question, the type of games I'd like to see more of, and I haven't looked too much into the homeowner scene yet, but more Zapper games. I love those oh, games. Oh, I freaking thing. want more Zapper games. There was. <laughs> All right.
1: <laughs> yeah, there actually aren't that many Zapper. Games. Yeah, that's a good there, point. There are, there are a couple, but they're really just mini games. They're not a full Zapper game like we want. And you really think they could really flesh out a Zapper game now knowing all of the sensibilities and everything that's come along? Yeah, yeah they could. And that is something that we've never covered. So what about that Kyle? The newer sensibility is that, are, that we know now, growing up and being mature, it's like having Yoda come in now and knowing everything and coming in and programming, whereas when you're programming holistically and fresh back in the day. It's the same thing with some of my covers. You get my NES cover by the guy who did Garbage Kids from his nostalgic history, Whereas I have an upcoming cover that was actually painted in 1994 and it has a completely different feel to it. I 100% understand that. And that might be something why a lot of these homebrew games might not hit that niche that you quite want. Whereas an unreleased game like Ultimate... Um, journey that has never been released on the ROM yet when that comes out and it's a platformer It's gonna feel like it was programmed in the 90s. Yeah Yeah.
0: And the thing with the zapper, too, so let's take how they made the power pad with the cornhole yeah. So what has what could you do with the zapper that okay, so you shoot stuff, but thinking in a whole nother way there's like a uncharted territory Again, you're setting me up, guys. So,
1: <laughs> so on um, on Kickstarter, there actually was a game. It's not a Zapper game, but it uses the Zapper. It's called Super Russian Roulette. And you actually literally play Russian Roulette versus people. And there's a guy on the screen that's a cowboy, and he talks smack with vocals and says, All right, partner, shoot and you can literally, like you're playing it and you don't need to have a CRT because you're not shooting at the TV, but you literally do that, you pass it around. Now, the funny thing is he has bonuses on it to where he has like a little teddy bear on the screen. you can shoot his teddy bear and he'll shoot you or you can do a firing and shoot at him. But if you don't have a CRT, you can still play the game. So so that's something new that somebody's using. You can still do something. Yeah, but that's not necessarily a classic Zephyr game where you're going out and shooting like a Hogan's Alley or something too. So like, I want both dichotomies. I want something new and something old. Now there is a game that I saw that was cool that utilized multiple accessories. It's called 8-Bit Hero Trainer. Hmm. and while I've been researching the homebrew section it, use, it utilizes the power pad to walk you walk on it through a first person style perspective you use the power glove to sw- to block and swing a sword and block with a shield something else you can and he recompiled and decomposed everything to do with the power glove because everyone knows the power glove was literally so bad it wasn't bad it was <laughs> bad it didn't work well but he re-figured out the microcosms that made the power the Nintendo power glove work and the power pad work and made it work now with a game, and it actually works perfectly. So literally when you see a screenshot, it looks like a slime from like Dragon Warrior that you're fighting. And then you swing your sword to attack him, put up a block to block him when he's attacking, and then you can like move out of the way and stuff on the power pad in real life. It's really crazy. And the only stuff that I could find without getting stuff from the developer was one Video of him playing it in his house Like marching and walking on it With like full gear on He actually had a full uh, nerf sword too That he was using with it Just to, It was hilarious, it was awesome And that's something that you never would have thought It's an interactive game for the Nintendo It's something that they could have done back in the day yeah. That's what's crazy Like you could literally do that And there's other accessories that have been untapped and unutilized Like the U-Force Yeah, I was going to say use. that Go
0: ahead. Yeah, because we actually know a dude He could beat Ninja Gaiden 3 with the U-Force So, it's just interesting how when you play it, you think it's bad, but then someone else sees it and they're like, this is awesome. Yeah. And just how different minds see things differently, or even how you grow, I mean, every day we change a little bit, we're growing a little bit, and, you know, we get into new stuff year after year, and kind of progress through our lives, but, yeah, I mean, it's really crazy to think how much untapped there is with all the accessories, too. I mean, (laughs) jeez.
1: So so what I'm really excited about though is to see the people with these new IPs that are coming out. You have your Sydney Hunter from Collector Vision, where they do a bunch of ColecoVision games and they're doing a Super Nintendo game, but they're also doing an NES port of the game. And then you have Mega Cat Studios that's putting out literally 30 games. They wouldn't even tell me about all their games. I'm like, <laughs> I'm doing the book where I'm putting upcoming games. They're like, well, we don't wanna put out everything, just in case, like you know they don't come out or something, but they're they're doing games from every different genre. They're doing a windjammer style game, where you're doing it like top down. Uh, they're doing a bunch of craziness. They're doing one called Almost Hero that is kind of like Double Dragon, so that's pretty cool. But you're like ninjas in the game, and you can literally power up like an RPG, kind of like you know River City Ransom too. But then you're powering up your actual kick speed and your actual punch speed. And when you fight enemies, they're like, one's based on a Ninja Turtle. One's based on a Battletoad that literally zooms at you. Like, it's hilarious. The game is really cool. So it's cool, though, because they changed all the names, so that way it's fair use. So they don't use the Battletoads. They use, like, it's something else that's a different name. It's a funny little name aspect on the game. So it's like the creativity that these homebrew developers are able to put in these games is,
0: like, awesome to me. Yeah, and the whole fan service aspect, so when we were going through it, it was being created like Turtles, you know. It was a new show at the time, and we were watching it as kids, And but now, so that's, that's the one thing where, that you can't get now, is now we can almost do a fan service to all the old school people who love that stuff. You can create a new game that's just based on fan service, just all old school stuff. I guess the, the key is the IP and chuck, you know, making it so you don't get sued or anything like that, but other than that, I mean, that's what's cool about now. So now you're catering to people who we all grew up in that time, and that's like a warm resonance with us. Yeah. That's exactly it. And the the other thing is, and
1: why we like to have people come up and tell their stuff, is like, we like to hear the stories. Because half of the thing that's really cool about these conventions, what's cool about the communities, is hearing the stories and why. And that's why I have my collector books, but I also have my compendiums that are from stories from the contributors that are supporting my books, too, and people in the communities people that were ingrained in it. Like, I had Thor Ackerland who won the NWC, do an article, but then I had another guy who just loved playing a certain game on the Nintendo, and he tells his story. So my Super Nintendo compendium, and I do it graphically, too, so you have all of that nostalgia you were talking about, where I'm showing all the artwork, I contact all the artists to see if, like, I can use it, or if they want credit, or however they want, and then we throw in giant, huge spreads on it, and that adds to their story. And my thing is I don't give any limitations so with my new Nintendo compendium like it's on backer kit right now from my NES oddities there's a Nintendo compendium because I didn't do that with my first NES book so I'm, I keep on getting like well what do I put in there like tell your story man that's all I want to hear like what, what's your limitation there are no limitations I want to hear the coolest thing ever like that's just it and then what I do is I hit in those microcosms of your Final Fantasy 7s, and your other stuff on the NES that aren't in my other books or don't fit a category. So your ROM hacks, like your Zelda Outlands, the stuff that people are literally putting in as much time as some of these programmers making new games, they're modifying existing IPs and making the new Super Mario Bros. as Super Mario 3 mix. Yeah, like That stuff is really cool too, and that's another reason why the NES isn't going to go away. We're constantly getting new content, always. We're always getting new content. I don't know if there's any repro sellers here at the convention because I know they kind of frown upon making reproductions here. But if there are, those are brand new games that people took their blood, sweat, and tears to make as well. As long as those developers and creators give the okay to utilize it publicly, that's awesome. And then you get to play it in your NES, which is insane being able to play somebody's creation on the actual system. Yeah. And there is something to be said, emulation versus playing in a console. Because I really feel like playing it in the real NES Living that nostalgia like you played it back in the day on a CRT and everything. I have my own PVM that I got, and I use the professional video monitor with everything, so it has the perfect little thing, but it's still the same input lag. It's still everything like when I played the games back in the day. Instead of putting it on a, a new TV, and then you're just dealing with the new microcosms that have came out with the newer tech and everything, and then it's not, it doesn't feel the same. It's like you're on ice skates. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and the whole... Um, how the NES is just gonna keep going. The best analogy is Doom. You know, for PC, the you know, the first person shooter. So that's still around. It'll, that still hasn't gone anywhere. People are coming up with new stuff, new levels, and new ways to take. There's like one where the, the map has like upside down rooms. So someone made like a chair that's upside down. So you have where someone just wants to take their, what they have in their mind, just keep advancing. So that's the thing that's interesting about why certain people are interested in, you know, DNS or Doom or whatever, as opposed to something else. I don't know, it just kind of catches fire. It's It's a
1: Minecraft thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's literally like the Minecraft style thing where you can create it in your own image. And I think that's where they're taking the NES too, is that you can literally morph the game and code it to however you want. And then though, not only are you creating a game, but you're creating the game that's added to the legacy and the library of the Nintendo Entertainment System, which is something that we've all dreamed about as kids, wanting to make our own game. People are literally able to do that now, Add it to that collection. Make it part of that lineage and that legacy. And that is really cool to be able to do that. Like To be, be a part of that and now you have a cartridge that you can play alongside and put on the shelf alongside Super Mario Brothers. If somebody wants to, if somebody likes your game enough. That's yours, Dude, yeah. That's that's ridiculous. That's an amazing thing. And that's the cool thing about this world that we live in now is we have people that if you're passionate enough, you can create content. You can do videos. You can do a podcast. You can write books. You can program a game. No matter what you do, if you're passionate about it, you show the passion and love that we all show into it, people are also going to be interested because you feel that passion. Yes. They know. Yes. And it, it's a really cool thing. And, and getting out there and coming out and interacting is the most important part because it's just fun. It's a really cool thing. And then now I come out here, and now I get to go play Spookatron tonight and learn about a new game and get to play other games that like the... Um, the tailgate party, but you get to play it with the guy who programmed it. That's the cool thing. That's
0: the cool that's thing. That's crazy. Yeah. That's the cool thing, man. Yeah, you can meet all the people, and everyone is just so great in the community because they all share that same level of fashion. Um, and that's what's great, too. You reach out to people like uh, over at the tables over there. Someone's like, oh, you want to do a podcast? And the, the guy's like, sure. Like, he didn't even think twice. Yeah. Everyone is just so involved and so actively ready. And uh, that's where that passion creates more passion. Yeah. And uh, it'll never die, yeah. as long as we hold it within our hearts.
1: I really think that as long as passionate individuals continue to do new things with it in unique ways, including games, including making physical books, including doing podcasts and analyzing things like we do or <laughs> going over things and interviewing people on the history of it like other podcasts do, it's a really cool aspect and it keeps people engaged and interested. And I think that's really the end result is that we're just like to show how much we love the NES And the Super Nintendo. I love the TurboGrafx-16. I love the Neo Geo. I love arcades and pinball machines. Our goal this weekend is to play every single arcade machine over there and get get some some play time in every single game. So that way, when we do our Midwest Gaming Classic Roll-Up, we can talk about what the new experience is in an arcade now. Because this is literally playing the arcade, minus the smoky dinginess, and this is literally <laughs> that aspect now, so we get everybody passionate, playing the games, you're gonna have the loud sounds, the music, it's, yeah. it's it's awesome, and that's how these conventions really, I think, shape our new nostalgia. Yeah.
0: And creating anticipation for yourself, and um, interest to do something that you might not, we might not play all the arcade games, but, like, just, if it was me and you hanging out, but... We're here we want to know what they're all like because the knowledge is good for us as far as on a podcast, so we can make analogies and you know comparisons and stuff like that so it's it's almost like uh, how I was doing with the VHS like taking tapes that were never released, making sure that they get saved on you know digital transfer. You know. that's just another reason to watch the movie again too that's the funny thing about it like you're giving yourself another reason to go through that and realize why you love it yeah. in the first place. Yeah, and, and theres you hit the
1: nail on the head, it's like a historical aspect. It's one of those things where, like with my Super Nintendo book, there hasn't been one that holistically covered every single game. So like, I was like, well, this doesn't even exist. The NES homebrew thing, that's been the hardest thing I've had to research ever because you have to go to a million different websites to find a million different things, and half the time, you don't find the information, so I have to get a hold of the person. And then literally they're like, oh, yeah, I have these other 17 games that I worked on, too. And it's like, ah, I just got done formatting the book. Let me reformat the entire book and spend another you know, week reformatting the book. Like, it was insanity. It was to the point now where I cut it off, and I'm like, all right, so I have my upcoming releases, and then after that I have more games that were released since I finished the upcoming releases. Like, there's like another six games that were announced to release and there's like a ridiculous microcosm. I'm thinking that we're hitting near our time, so we should say where to find us. So everything that we have that's available for VGBS, we tend to get off the beaten path. We're pretty good today. <laughs> we tend to get off the beaten path, go down the river, as we say, and just talk about random stuff. Yeah. Um, but we're on Hagensalley.com. That's also where you can find all my books. All of my books are available online. I have a few available that are left. Um, people were selling or buying them yesterday thank while you, I was drinking beer. <laughs> I appreciate every single yeah. thing. Like the support, even if one person enjoys what I'm doing, I'm gonna keep doing it. I'm, not, I'm here doing this as a hobby just like everybody else. Everybody else is doing it. This is my passion project. Podcast is our passion project. Yes. Kyle's the mastermind behind the po- podcast. The podcast wouldn't exist without Kyle. Like, he's the guy who does all the editing and all the hard work behind that. And he literally makes it sound like professional style audio. Like, I'm recording the audio side over here, too, just in case, so that way we can start the editing quicker. Mm-hmm. And then he's gonna utilize whatever they give us and, and put a real shine on it and use musical intros and craziness and like so we 're available there. we have stuff available all over the place we 're on all the different podcasting apps as well for vGbs um My latest book, NES Oddities and the Homebrew Revolution, as well as the Nintendo Compendium, are still on Backerkit. You can get it from hagansla.com. you can get to the link. You can also go to the Kickstarter page that I had, it goes to a link to it, so you can go right to it. If you contribute still, you can still put your story in the book for the NES Compendium, because until I release the NES Oddities, I haven't started on the Nintendo Compendium. But those books do not take that long, because I'm literally writing somebody else's story, I read the story and build those spreads of the story nostalgia as I read it. And that's why I love reading. I don't want to dictate what they do. I like write your story. I want to put it in there. Like one guy was writing about Mortal Monday and the Super Nintendo one. So I put the Mortal Monday ads and had a cool background with Daniel Fasino and some of the guys that are walking around here at the bar from the Mortal Kombat guys. <laughs> like doing some cool stuff with it. Just having really fun with it and making it feel like an old school ad. And that's what I like to do too, is make it feel like you're in the old magazines. I love that, yeah. And I'm doing year by year gaming too, like 90, 91. Um, just trying to do a bunch of cool stuff. And you know, as long as people are supporting I'm gonna keep going and high quality, you know, represent and having having a good time. Yeah. Um, does anybody have any crazy questions if we got some time? Come on, go ahead.
0: I got one crazy question. I really love your talk. And we got one of your cartridges yesterday. Oh, Could you like oh. autograph it, please? Oh, nice.
1: Oh, absolutely. So the, <laughs> the background behind that cart, that yes. cart is MilesCon <laughs> 2016, right? Uh, yes, it is. Bad bitch edition. So, Holy <laughs> so, can edition. So, last year, there was a guy here, he was sitting here in the in the audience, blast, blitzed out of his mind, went, in, went against some of the security guards that are real cops in real life, just off-duty, being security here, and came onto the guy, tried to sc- squeeze on the guy, doing crazy <laughs> stuff, got arrested, got banned permanently from Midwest Gaming Classes. That's hard to do. That's hard to do. do.
0: That's hard to do. do. You see some crazy
1: (laughs) people out here. And so, I told the story, um, Miles has one of those (laughs) ten. It's about him, he has one of those cartridges. But I like to do something cool, and that's literally a choose your own adventure game. Yeah, we should go over that. That is the story of that on a cartridge, which has never been done. Nobody's done a Zork on the Nintendo. So this is literally like you don't have an option, you do have to drink a half gallon of vodka to progress in the game. But, <laughs> but you get to choose if you want to go after that cop or not to try to not get arrested. So the goal is to not go to jail. <laughs> That's the classic <laughs> myth. And what I did is that is the kind of the prototype or the proof of concept Because I want to work on a choose-your-own-adventure series going the twisted realities of NES homebrew games. and You can literally get transported into the world of Haunted Halloween or Battle Kid or something like that. And I'm going to create this whole quantum leap mentality (laughs) with the whole story. And then it works with and gets the names of those homebrew developers out there as well. And I can go really deep and far. And one of the talented programmers in the NES community created the backbone programming for this me, So I can literally make a series out of it, which I think is really cool, and that's just gonna be the extra stuff Like I'm not gonna do a homebrew NES game series I'm gonna do the book series and then when I take it to a crowdfunding I'll put that for anybody who wants to jump down that rabbit hole with me They can go ahead and get that that's game too. And I'll absolutely sign <laughs> Absolutely, it's hit us up here So I think we're gonna get the dirty look here. I think we're going a little bit over. That's what we always do Cool, we got five. We got five, alright so yeah, so going with that, like I just am going to continue to do those, but I'm just working on that on the side. I'm also working on a project, as soon as I finish the NES these. I'm gonna go, I'm working with um, the legendary Walter Day. Oh yes. Yeah. And I'm working on categorizing his Twin Galaxies card series, and he wants me to start with his first year. But here's the thing though, I don't just want a checklist of all the cards like we're doing with the checklist for the games. I want the stories. So I'm going to contact every single person that's gotten a card from that year, get their stories on it, and I want to get the stories in there. So I never make anything easy on myself. Like That's going to be a ridiculous project, trying to get a hold of Nolan Bushnell and Tommy Tallarico and a bunch of crazy people in the community. But I'm going to try. And if they want to tell their stories, I'm going to do a full-page spread on it. And I think that'll be another cool project. And I'm doing that for Walter. Walter's done so much for the community. Like I'm doing that for Walter. Like I'm not selling the books. Walter's selling the books. I'm just doing it for them. And the thing is, is I'm going to continue to reach out to artists and if you're an artist, if you do anything within gaming, just hit me up and, you know, I have business cards and I, I'll talk with everybody because, I mean, it's all about the passion. we got to keep the passion alive. And, right? Got any uh, final
0: words, Kyle? Yeah, the whole Choose Your Own Adventure is cool too because you don't have to code like Konami or Capcom or anything. You can actually just come up with a cool story and make something a reality. So there's a multitude of ways for everyone to contribute to uh the whole community
1: yeah yeah and and with my twisted reality series it's going to be a combination of a choose your own adventure and the worlds of power so Worlds of Power, back in the day, there were 10 books. There was a Blaster Master one that went so crazy into the story that it actually became canon in the Blaster Master Zero that just came out of the Nintendo Switch. Which is awesome. So it's some crazy stuff. But anyway, thank you, everybody, for coming to listen to us BS about NES. I appreciate it. We get a good uh, round of applause and everything, and we're going to have this next Thank you. Right. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Time to drink. Oh, yeah. Permits. <laughs>